Welcome to the pursuit of well-being. My name is Maria Brosnan, and I'm an educational well-being specialist and your host for this show. Here on the podcast, I'll be speaking with leading figures in education about the issues affecting schools and teachers today. We'll share tools and practical ideas to help you thrive, not just survive, as an educator. My guest today is Tom Wheelhouse. Tom founded Mightify in 2015 because he wasn't willing to accept that people in frontline roles across society gave so much and got so little in return. He'd accumulated trauma, burnout and poor coping mechanisms in policing. And when he left that career, he had to rebuild himself from scratch. He transferred his skills to the private sector before deciding that he'd deliver fit for purpose well-being, personal development and career transition services to frontline people. Mightify takes people from institutionalized to inspired. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Morning, great to be here. Yeah, well, as you know, this this podcast is for teachers and leaders and educators, so they may very well be wondering why I've got an ex-policeman on the podcast now. So tell us a little bit about what what where did you get to in policing and why did you leave? Of course, yeah. And I think the, the first thing to say is it doesn't actually matter whether we're talking about teachers, police officers, paramedics, nurses. That's that's what I call the front line. And I think those people were already doing a lot before, you know, the whole last 18 months happened. And now it's just been brought into focus that actually those are the really important jobs, not the ones that earn millions and millions and are on kind of Instagram all the time. Those are the, the jobs that society really needs. So that's that's the thread. Um, to go back to, to your question about how did I kind of get here? Well, I joined the police probably for a lot of the same reasons that people become teachers. Uh, I, I wanted to help people. Um, however much, you know, we, we might shy away from that and not want to admit it. Nobody joins teaching or policing or healthcare for the fame and fortune. You know, they do it for empathetic reasons or to help others or because of a concept of duty or service. Um, so that was why I did it. And I had a lot of really great experiences. I, I did things that I could never have kind of imagined were possible or never existed in, in both good and bad ways. Um, and, and it just got to a point for me where it ran its course and it, I came to the realisation that it was no longer doing me any good, to say the least. Um, and I'd seen what happened to people when they got to the bottom of that slope and I knew I was on that slope and going faster and faster downwards. Um, and just because there was no other option, really, uh, I thought, well it's leave and do something else and I don't know what that something else is but it will be better than this or it will kind of you know that's, that's all there is so um that's how I got there uh, and since then everything I did people just kept coming to me and saying oh so it turns out there is kind of life on the other side of this big fence that we build around ourselves in the public sector and other people will value your skills and people will want you and you can start again or you can you know harness what you've done into something else and the penny just dropped for me and I thought well if I felt felt like that maybe there are you know hundreds of thousands of other people around the country around the world thinking I'm not very happy but I can't do anything else so I've got no choice and that's just not true and that's my kind of core mission really just to break down that big wall of I can't do anything else or I'm stuck here because I don't think that's ever true. 
And you work closely with Catherine Grice from the Teacher Empowerment Project and Professor Joe Clark from Petros, both of whom have been guests on the podcast. And I think particularly with Catherine, because she works with teachers who have left or are considering leaving the profession. What she has found largely is that with some guidance, many stay and and they they realise that they've got options within education. So are you suggesting that people are leaving or are you just suggesting another way of looking at their options? I think that I'm going to give you a really annoying answer and say it depends. I think <laughs> the I think both of those can be the right answer, leaving or staying, as long as they're done for the right reasons and done in a healthy way. And I think um, one of the big things I talk about a lot is the the three R's, and they're not the traditional educational three R's, but recruitment, retention, and resettlement. And they are inherently and intrinsically linked. They're the same conversation, really, and they should be kind of asking the same questions, uh, whether that's an individual or an organization so whether that's a school leader whether it's a an academy trust whether it's the department of education the the questions are the same it's who have we got who are we trying to get into the profession you know how are we attracting those people how are we preparing them for for a teaching career then after they've been been there whether it's one year 10 years 20 years what do they need from us how how can we help them thrive are they in the right role within education is there another role that maybe would help them thrive a little bit better? What do they need from us? And if there comes to a point where either they reach you know, a natural retirement point or the options within education are no longer healthy or the right fit, then it's saying, actually, how can we help you to move on to something that is the right thing? And not because we necessarily get something out of that. The human case for it should be enough. But actually, there is also a massive organizational business case for it because people who leave a profession go and tell all their friends and family what it was like to be in that profession. And I think teaching is like policing or another emergency service in that most people have almost a family connection to it. It's a family business almost. Mm. So, you know, people say, oh, my dad was a teacher. My mum was a teacher. My aunt was a teacher. What if now those mums and dads and aunts and uncles are all going and saying to the 18 year olds, yeah, don't do a PGCE because, you know, education is not a good career choice then you've got a whole reten- uh, recruitment crisis. So it's really difficult to kind of give one answer to that because it's such an individual thing. I think where I see dangers, um, and I'm sure you've heard this from, from Catherine and Joe as well, is when people kind of sign up to these blanket statements of the grass isn't greener on the outside, or you know, if you once you join this profession, you have to stick in it until retirement age, or you know, people who leave don't do well. And then on the flip side, people sign up to a blanket statement that says, oh, yeah, well, if you leave, you'll double your money and have all your weekends back and, you know, everything will be rosy. That's not necessarily true either. So it's a really individual question, but it all comes back to having that vulnerability and that openness to ask and be asked, what do you need right now to thrive? Mm. And the third R you mentioned there, so recruitment, retention, but resettlement. Resettlement's not a word that we use very much in education. That's certainly not something that I've ever heard used in conversations that I've been in. So you might have a very particular skill set that's not being well utilised in your particular school or multi-academy trust. So any other suggestions there for people that might be thinking, oh, it's just, I just 
I don't want to leave teaching, but this just isn't working. Any other ideas around resettlement? I think in, when you come to that point, and it, it does come to all of us, I think in any career, in any occupation, where you just think, I'm not really enjoying this anymore, or I've kind of done what I wanted to do here, or there's that natural what's next point, which is absolutely natural. So I think that's the first thing. It's perfectly natural, perfectly normal, and it's not any sign of failure or you know um, incompetence or anything like that. Uh, life changes so you know if, you, if you're someone who's got 10 years in and thinks actually maybe I don't want to do this for 30 years you don't have to mm-hmm. you really don't have to so um that's the first thing but I think also sometimes the the best step forward is to take half a step back and I would encourage those people who've got to that point of whether it's sort of an overwhelm or whether it's just a bit lost and drifting on what to do take half a step back and um, this is the hardest bit of the whole process is create yourself some time. And, you know, you, you know, you talk about it so much in, in your work as well, that fundamental power of giving yourself a little bit of time and space to, to breathe and think. And I would say to people, take a piece of paper out and write at the top of that piece of paper, I'm happiest when, dot, dot, dot. Just I'm happiest when. Not even I'm happiest at work when, because we can get to that. But I'm happiest when. And just start writing. And don't worry what comes out of the pen, you know. And, and if, if you're a if you're a mind map drawer, draw pictures. If you're a you know if you want to draw little charts, whatever. If you just want to write, and just see what happens, because in there somewhere will be some absolute gold about what you do actually want to do with your time. Uh, and you know we all, we're all going to spend a significant amount of our week working in inverted commas, whatever that work is. And you you do I think increasingly have the power to shape that and choose that but if you don't know what you actually want to do with it it's very easy to get drawn into shoehorning yourself into you know um things that you can do but don't necessarily want to this podcast will be coming out just around the time that teachers and leaders will will be having a bit of time because we're coming into the summer holidays and and that activity of just reflecting on I'm happiest when because so often when we do these activities we it's like writing down all of the things that bug you or that are just so difficult but but to open up possibility I think is is such a hugely um, creative thing to do and and I think it's difficult to do that when we're in I think we're either in survival mode or creation mode it's very difficult to be in both when we're in survival mode of just kind of just getting through the week just getting through the term I think it's very difficult to be this open with ourselves so I really invite our listeners to take a little bit of time and do this when you've got the time and space to do this over a holiday no absolutely and I think I think you're absolutely right and I you know I'm I've not been a teacher but I'm I've speaking speak to enough teachers in what we do now to understand just the relentless nature of demands and just when you thought you know you've got on top of your teaching workload you become a testing center for covid as well and you know it's just you know it's just relentless so i understand that like you say you get into that survival mode but that absolutely is the enemy of creativity um and and it's amazing how many things can come from just stopping and whatever your stopping is so your stopping might be a workout it might be you know a walk in the woods it might be playing with your kids for half an hour and just turn your phone off whatever it is that's when ideas come up and you know people have all kinds of weird wonderful ideas in weird and wonderful places but um it's giving you you know just giving your brain that time to catch up and and tell you what's actually probably there already 
it's just under, you know, well, probably a literal and metaphorical stack of books and, and paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so let's talk about the power of options. I think the first thing, and it sounds so blindingly obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway, there are always options. And, and I think it's hard to see that sometimes because I think we, in all these professions that we're talking about, there's almost this kind of um, wall around it that says, well, it, it took a lot to get here. You know, all the, all the hoops you jump through, all the work you put in to qualify, to stay qualified, to keep up your CPD, to develop your own skills, mostly probably at your own time and expense. And, and it can feel like, well, if I start thinking about something else, then I have to give all that up and it's all been for nothing. And that and that's not true at all. Um, you know, I regularly, regularly get asked by people who are thinking about their options. Yeah, but I don't want to start again from scratch. Or should I go and look at, you know, graduate entry jobs? Well, no, because you're not a you know new graduate and you're not an entry level person. So, no, of course you shouldn't. Um the power of options is, to me, what spans well-being and the, the practical stuff that we do. So, you know, I, I would describe what I do as, as coaching rather than therapy very distinctly. And the reason for that is we do work mostly on the practical stuff. But all those issues around identity and what do I actually do with my time and what are my options and what am I good at and what am I good for have massive uh, personal well-being impacts about self-esteem self-confidence and um, value and and i it's heartbreaking to hear but i hear all the time from people who are incredible people in all kinds of ranks and roles in education and beyond and they say yeah that's great tom but while i'm at this school i'm somebody but if i leave i'll be nobody again and you know of course that's not true but it's easy to see why people feel that way when they're in an environment where probably everybody's feeling that way and nobody just culturally wants to be the one to stand up and go, right, we don't have to do this though, do we? If we, would, if we don't want to, if this isn't working. And I, and I always get asked by people um, since I've been doing my own thing, you know, in a very different way where there's no security and, you know, you know yourself, there's no certainty and it's kind of on your own shoulders. And people say to me, yeah, but what will you do if it doesn't work out? And I say, well, I'll do something else. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, don't get me wrong, when I, when I first left the police, I would never have been able to see it that way. Yeah. But now I just say, well, you do something else. And actually, teachers already have the skills to do that because they do it every day. You know, what happens if you walk in and you're carefully planned lesson, which, you know, no plan survives first contact with the enemy, does it? So <laughs> plans go wrong for whatever reason. Well, you do something else, don't you? And, and you've been doing that your whole career. So that's what Options is about, really, just having that confidence and it's not easy i'm not saying it's easy but having that confidence in yourself and in your abilities to know that you can pursue different threads and different avenues safe in the knowledge that the dots always connect everything you do always has a value that you keep forever so it's never a wasted effort or wasted learning and um, and there's always another option and i think actually just in the sort of stage of society we're in at the moment that's never been more available to people as well to go and do something different, to do more than one thing at once, to have a portfolio of options. So hopefully, you know, if, if you're thinking, oh, it's easy for you to say, Tom, then it, it isn't because you know, I've been through it and I know what it's like. But please, please take it from me that you do have options, you do have value, and it's okay to try those options and, and find which one works for you. 
Yeah. And you talked about a very important thing in there in terms of identity. And I think our identity informs so much. You know, I think it's, I see our, the way we see ourselves as kind of the umbrella that everything else sits underneath, our thoughts, our beliefs, our actions, everything forms from that. If you have an identity that you're, let's say, you know, a successful head teacher and you take that identity away, that can be really disorientating to say the least. So what can you share in terms of how to think about identity? I think you make a really, really good point. And I think people get to that stage and, and teaching's absolutely a profession where that happens, where people come to you and they, they've already put you in a, in a box, whether you're the head teacher, whether you teach a particular subject and they know, okay, you're the English teacher, you're the head teacher, you're the person who really knows everything about, I don't know, the Roman empire or whatever, whatever it is. Um, and, and that becomes your identity, like you say. And then that's probably how that person starts introducing themselves to others. You know, oh, I'm, you know, a new teacher walks into the staff room and you say, oh, I'm so-and-so and I'm head of English. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe you are, maybe that's your job, but that's not who you are. Uh, and and that, we see that a lot in other professions too. So I think the very first simple thing you can do is start to think about next time you meet someone for the first time or you, I don't know, you go on a course or an event or something and you have to do a introduce yourself just stop and think how you actually introduce yourself because i guarantee most people and like you said some holidays coming up if you go to a, a barbecue or to the pub or whatever and someone says oh who are you or what what do you do i challenge you to to not use you know your your role title your level of you know sort of rank level and um, the subjects you do and if you really want to go for it i challenge you to not use any words like education teacher school or any of those and actually how would you introduce yourself if you can't do that so again you know you can do a very simple exercise of that and you know you get a piece of paper or do it on your phone or however you want to do it and just try and put down kind of five to ten terms that actually describe you but I, I if you're a teacher listening to this I ban you from using words like school teacher any of your subjects or anything like that and just actually start to think but who are you really and, and there's, there's such a power in that, exactly like you say, when actually saying that that's, that's a part of me, of course it is, because you spend, well, 80 hours a week or whatever it is, you know, with your teaching, your marking, everything you do. So, of course, that's a big part of you, but it's not you. And I think there's, there's something really powerful from a well-being point of view in being able to see that, you know, work is somewhere I go to do something I'm good at, but it's not who I am. And, and you can still have that space around that to, to be a whole person who just happens to be, uh, you know, a fantastic French teacher. Yeah. Great exercise, isn't it? Isn't it funny when we take out those very descriptive parts of identity, what are we left with? Yeah, it can feel, it can really feel disorientating, but, but I, I would, yeah, urge, urge you to give that a go. So, Tommy, talk about proactivity and planning. Um, Talk about the way you think about, say, performance reviews and how we can assess how we use our time effectively. Absolutely. I, th I think one of the big frustrations that I've had over the years of doing this is that um, people do have time or there is time set aside to have sort of annual appraisals or performance reviews, but actually that time is not very well used generally. Um, and one 
example I'd give of that, which is kind of an extreme example, but it, it happened. Uh, when I was a police officer in South London a few years ago, one year uh, there was a grading system for the reviews, one to five, one being the best. Um, and my particular uh, sort of unit, uh, area said, actually, we haven't really got time for this, so everyone gets a three. Oh, well, uh, how you know how to kind of it's great news if you if you were somebody who was going to get a five and hadn't done anything all year because all of a sudden you've just gone you know upwards, but not so great news for the people who spent all year working towards a higher score because also you needed a high one you needed a one or a two to apply for some things or specialist or for a move. So you know what what I guess was intended to be a sort of egalitarian everyone gets the same thing actually worked for nobody. Because, you know, it rewarded some poor behavior and poor uh, performance. And it totally deflated anyone who thought, actually, I've been working really hard. So it was almost a negative. Well, it was negative. They'd have been better off just saying, we're not going to do it at all. Um, And what I keep hearing in all different services and different occupations is that people maybe go through a process of review or appraisal but that doesn't actually ask them anything about themselves or where they want to get to. And it's not proactive and it's not forward thinking. It almost reminds me a little bit of um, doing your business accounts. You know, you're asked to just justify what happened 18 months ago and it's pointless and you only do it because you get fined if you don't. So, you know, it doesn't actually tell you anything about where your business is going or what's working or what's not. So, I think the opportunity, and I know there are there are places doing it, which is great. So I'm not saying nobody's doing a good thing, but the opportunity is that's a time to sit down with your staff, with your colleagues, and say, right, okay, what's working, what's not, but also look ahead and say, right, where do you want to be this year? What do you want to achieve in the coming year? And actually, how can we help you do that? Um, and I think you know, I can almost hear people saying, yeah, we do that, we do that, um, and that's great if you if you truly do. But I think in a lot of places, there's a tick box that says, you know, this person is interested in development in the future or something like that on their appraisal. That's not enough. Um, you know, it needs to be something that actually says, what what do we need? What can we give you uh, in the next three, six, 12 months that will help you thrive? And actually, where do you want that to lead? And going back to what we were talking about at the top of the conversation, that's when you have that. Uh, that's a retention conversation, mm-hmm. even because that person... I guarantee you that person who comes to their performance review thinking, well, I haven't really got much to say and things are kind of all right, but you haven't really asked me any questions. I guarantee you in six months time, that's the person you're having the I'm thinking about leaving conversation with. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about exit interviews. To me, exit interviews are often, you can learn something that the organization benefits from, but for that person individually, it's often, you know, uh, closing the stable door after the horse has bolted. Because if you're in an exit interview, that person's decided that they've had enough for whatever reason. You have to do something pretty massive to bring them back in and re-engage them. Whereas actually, if you'd had that kind of itchy feet conversation six months before or 12 months before that said, okay, that's not quite working for you. What can we do? How can we help? You re-engage a person. You almost get a whole new person. You know, and I'm aware that money's what it is and nobody's got any funding but if you think, you know, you've, you've had to fund that person to be there and train them and develop them, a little bit extra to retain them is worth its weight 10 times over or more in return on investment, uh, you know, compared to letting them go. 
so I think there's a real opportunity across the board to redesign um, development reviews, appraisals, performance, whatever you want to call them, into something that's actually a bit more meaningful for, for both parties, not just a top-down thing that you know is about how do we ask our staff, but for leaders as well to actually understand what's working, what's not, what are people really engaged with, where do they want to go? Are there ideas out there that you don't even know about that these people haven't got the chance or the mechanism to, to put forward to you as the head teacher? And, and just it just stitches together the layers of the organization and but puts the people first. And I think just to really drill down into it, it's reviewing the questions that you're asking in a, in a development review or in an appraisal. Um, and those questions, again, being person-centered rather than role-centered because, you know, teachers are so over-scrutinized as it is with in their sort of operational delivery in their teaching. But actually, you know, does anyone come around and say, well, when I assessed you, you didn't seem like maybe you were quite as, as kind of vibrant and engaging as you were six months ago. What's going on with you? Rather than saying, well, actually, the lesson plan was X, Y, Z. That's a whole different thing. Yeah. So I think it's drawing the the person out and making those reviews a, a person thing, not a, a role thing. It makes perfect sense. And I was, I was talking to a head teacher this week and she she was saying something similarly creative as you're describing that she does the her reviews across the team only because they feel they're a very close-knit team across you know it's quite a large school so across all of the different year groups and um, and she asked them would that be useful because it's not for me to be telling you off it's it's all about possibility and if we did it together maybe we like you said Tom maybe we come up with ideas maybe somebody think we could spark more together and so their performance reviews are done as teams and of course I'm I'm fully aware in in many schools that would not be appropriate but in some schools it's a really creative way to just spark you know enthusiasm and uh, especially after a very tough 18 months or so it's, it feels like a good time to be thinking, right, okay, this is where we are now. Let's use these performance reviews um, a, as an opportunity. 100%. And I think also it's finding those, you know, this isn't easy, but it is doable. It's those conversations that happen in the staff room when, you know, the, maybe the head isn't in there or whatever. That's where so much great stuff happens, but that kind of positive spark, like you described it, quickly turns sour if nobody kind of captures it and runs with it and that's when it becomes a you know a sort of a moaning shop and a um you know people think oh actually yeah we'll find people find incredibly creative ways to not do things or to subvert yeah. things um <laughs> and that happens when their initial kind of you know creative spark is you know not valued or not responded to so it's really difficult but it's how do you gather those those little um, sparks of positivity and innovation that happen in the sort of around the water cooler or over a coffee yeah. or in the staff room corner when people are, other people aren't listening um, and actually harness those and run with them. Because we've all been there when we've got all these ideas and we tell our you know best mate at work in the pub afterwards. And then when it gets to your sort of official review, you don't say any of them to, uh, you know, to your boss or whatever, because you think, oh, they won't be interested or, you know, they weren't interested a month ago when I sort of raised this. So I think that's a really good idea just to try and do those, the group things. And again, you know, every, every school is going to be different on that. So I think each, each head or leader has the opportunity there to say, actually, what, what's the type of atmosphere I've got here? Who are the people I've got here? And 
can I bring them into one big team or different smaller teams? Um, and even trying to bring that out of the kind of silos of your day-to-day -day work as well. So what if you did have a group session like you just described, but actually you invited teachers or staff who never actually work together normally? Mm. They're still on the same physical site day in, day out, but they don't normally work together. Mm. And actually that um, cross-sector stuff is really, really valuable. And in fact, we were uh, doing some work earlier in the week with some NHS trusts and they had found massive value from doing a similar thing where um, they deliberately said, right, we're going to take somebody from the sort of clinical side and somebody from a totally different non-clinical role who what they do does have an impact on each other, but they never normally actually have a conversation and we'll just get them together and say, right, what's working for you? What's not working for you? And within five minutes, you've got all these little things that just become gripes that get bigger and bigger that are, well actually you know it'd be great if when you sent your paperwork over it had this on it well we didn't know you needed that until you said so and just you know such such small small things but they become the things that like you said about your, the well-being impact they become the things that when you go to work you kind of you know you, you dread getting up in the morning because you think oh I'm gonna have to deal with that again today or yeah. oh, I'm gonna have to park 20 minutes away or and um, you know the the lift doesn't work or whatever it is unless they could be such small things that they end up being the big things yeah for sure for sure and so what happens next so the the well-being impacts and issues of leaving teaching potentially and and I'd like to kind of reiterate that's not really the point of this conversation to encourage people to leave but if you're feeling like that's an appropriate thing for you to do what would you recommend as, as what happens next I think, um, as we kind of said earlier, you have to understand your own reasons for doing it and, and make it a very much a personal thing. And um, I've been in the position where when I decided to leave, uh, it was probably quite an emotional decision. Uh, it was absolutely the right one, but at the time it was very much a, a heart over head one. Um, and lots of people said, oh, you can't leave, you can't leave, what else are you going to do? And it made it really difficult because uh, I was, you know, very closely drawn back into that sort of group thing of, well, people don't just leave and all that kind of thing. So, and I've considered myself quite fortunate that I was, I guess, stubborn <laughs> enough to, to still do it anyway. Um, so I think, you know, you're going to get a whole lot of reactions um, that might be a bit shocking or a bit surprising or a bit more forceful than you thought as soon as you start to say to people, I'm thinking about leaving or, you know, I'm, I am actually leaving. So I think, it's, again, it's about that space between the sort of stimulus and response, just like any other thing that happens to us in life. Take a step back, take a breath and just think, actually, okay, why am I feeling that way about this? Why did that person potentially say to me, don't leave, you can't leave? Um, what Maybe that was their, you know, projection. Uh, so I think the first thing, as weird as it sounds as a suggestion of what to do, the first thing to do is almost to do nothing and, and, and sit with that feeling, the first one that comes up. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're starting to think, right, I'm out of here, I'm done. And we've all done it, right? We've all, we've all got in the car on the way in from work and thought, that's it, I'm done. I'm not coming back here. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that is the, the right decision. But just think about that. And as you said, you know, maybe it's a good time of year for educators and teachers to, to have even half an hour of downtime to just ask yourself some probing questions. I think the next thing I would say is absolutely include the people around you in your thought process as early as possible. 
because when we talk about the impact, of course, there's a personal impact, a deep one, but there will be an impact on the people around you too, whether that's, you know, a partner, friends, family, kids, um, whether they just sort of depend on you or not, uh, they will all have a, an opinion, um, but there will, there will be some kind of impact on them. So if you can proactively bring them into your thought process, not, not so much that you're not making your own decisions, but actually say, look, this is what I'm thinking about. These is what I think the options are. This is why I've got to this point. Then it doesn't become such a kind of bombshell for people to try and react to. Uh, because I've worked with a lot of people over the years who they've gone through this great planning process and all the rest of it, but they never told anyone. And then one day they, you know, they get home from work and, and they have to say to their spouse, oh yeah, actually I've, this is day 28 of my 28 days notice. I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. And that's the first they've heard of it. Yeah. So of course that, that becomes a very difficult conversation. Whereas if they'd said, two months previously that I'm thinking about leaving. This is my plan. I've thought it through. This is what I've decided. This is how it's going to work. You know, you still, it's still a challenging conversation, but you've included others. So that's the really important part is to, to include others um, and to make time throughout that for yourself to go through that process. So even if it's saying, right, I'm not quite happy where I am and I'm thinking about my options, put half an hour in your diary on the same level as you know, something else that's important, any other meeting that just says, I don't know, you know, look at other job opportunities um, speak to this person about opportunities in their company, speak to this neighbor who I've, no, I've never actually asked what they do for a living and just ask about a different uh, occupation and what it's like and put that on the same level as all the things that you have in your day-to-day role as non-negotiable. And I think Obviously, that practically makes sense because the more research you do, the more prep you do, the better the outcome. But also, on a personal level, psychologically, it makes you and your transition or your potential transition as important as your your marking and your meetings and your assessments and all the rest of it, so that you don't become a, a second place to that. Because you know the. The rest of it can come if, once you're in the right place, once you're in the right role for you. But people tend to do that as well. I haven't really got time to think about my own career, so I'll do it in five minutes when I'm knackered on my phone, on the sofa, you know, with the football, and I'll just scroll through Indeed aimlessly. That's not going to get you a great result. Um, so you have to kind of elevate your thinking process and your potential transition process to the same importance as you know, anything else that you really care about. Because I would say if, if you can't do that, my kind of uh, robust challenge to you is, uh, well, are you re- is it really that bad then? You know, if, uh, do you really want to leave then? Are you, is it really that important to you if actually you haven't got half an hour in a week to de- devote to it? So, you know, just think very carefully about um, how you go about that and the, the importance you give it because like anything else in life, you know, the the more energy and focus you give it, the more it will give you back. So I think, yeah, there's a, a kind of, you know, and I'm, I'm the most positive person about options and doing, you know, following your heart and doing the things that make you feel good uh, that's out there. But I think I'm also a kind of a, a practical optimist. So, you know, don't just jump on that emotional thing because you think, you know, I've had enough, slam the door, I'm gone, without having done as much prep as you can. Yeah. And such great advice, Tom. And I think there's a really important point to, to pull out there is 
if you if you get to a kind of crisis state where you're so stressed or overwhelmed and you make a decision in that moment that if we just think of fight or flight right it it gets to the point where you can't fight that system anymore so the only option you feel you have left is to flee like to leave and so many people have that kind of twirling around swirling unhelpfully in their minds as all i can do here is go and and making a decision from that kind of emotional state is really really difficult and and your advice to just take some time and you know go for a walk or talk to somebody and really settle yourself and make sure you're not making a very reactive decision because if you if you don't find a way in how to deal with stress effectively the only option then you'll have left to you is freeze so we've got fight flight or freeze and that feeling is like well this is all i can do now it's it's very defeated you feel very powerless disempowered helpless and that's a horrible horrible kind of frame of mind to be working from or living from so i would really urge people to to take the time to manage their own kind of stress levels so then you can make really well informed smart decisions rather than reactive like ah i can't take this anymore absolutely it's such good advice and and also i think there's a really cautionary tale about social media in there as well oh, yeah. and um, <laughs> i know so many people who who call me and they say yeah, I've seen um, so-and-so and they only left the police or they only left uh, teaching last month and now they're head of this, that and the other, you know, some big brand. And I say, right, that's what they put on, you know, LinkedIn or Instagram. I guarantee you, that can happen. Right? I've seen that. But I guarantee you that for most people, there's a sort of one, two, five-year transition period. But nobody wants to talk about the difficult in-between bit on because that doesn't get likes on social media. So, you know... There's no overnight successes take a long time. Um, and all those people that you think, oh, well, they just left and it's all worked out. Well, it has, but they probably in the meantime had two, five years worth of retraining, you know, jumping from one step to another, stage by stage planning, roller emotional roller coasters along the way. And and I, I say that from personal experience as well as, you know, hundreds of clients who've been through that, because I left policing very much in the way you described. Uh, it was a build-up and build-up of things I didn't know how to deal with. Um, and then one day, my boss said, look, if you don't like it, go and work in Tesco's with a few more F-words in there. Um, and and, I th and that was it. For me, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I said, right, I'm, I'm not coming back. And the next day, I came in and I handed him a resignation, and that was that. And it was very much an emotional decision. And it has worked. And people say to me, oh, yeah, but look how it's worked out for you. Okay, yeah, it has. But that was, you know, seven years ago. And it made it a lot harder for me, for myself, than it needed to be. Um, and I could look at that and go, oh, well, you know, seven years ago, I was doing this, and now I'm doing this. Great. But nobody ever talks about the in-between um, because it's not glamorous or, you know, exciting. So, you know, try and reduce that in-between by doing exactly what you said and making sure that you've understood all your options. And and that's what that's why people like me exist, right, and, and other people that you know. Yeah. Um, so you can go and say to somebody who doesn't know you but understands and says, right, well, have you thought about this? Have yes. you thought about that? And take some of that emotion out of it. Um, and, and like I said, you know, people around you that you know or have left before that you look up to and just ask them and just say, you know, how did that work for you? What would you do differently? 
and and people i guarantee you will be keen to help you and just say well i did this but to be honest it would have been easier if i'd done this yeah. and you just saved yourself six months of uh, pain that they maybe went through yeah. people are always a bit afraid to ask of that because it feels like a conversation that comes from a place of failure because it's like well i'm giving up or i'm leaving and that we have this weird cultural thing where that's a bad thing mm. to to leave something but why would you not if it's not working for you and it's unhealthy why would you stay and you know there's a, there's a million uh, sort of metaphors for that but it, the classic one is the sort of the, the gardening thing that you know if your plants don't grow you look at the weather and the soil and everything else don't you and the foxes or whatever is, is destroying it you don't just keep saying to that flower well just stick it out and give it another year and see if you grow there next year <laughs> you wouldn't do that so you know you look at everything else around what's going on what are the options and work out the best way forward yeah fantastic well that feels like a really good opportunity tom to let people know how they can connect with you and and perhaps have a conversation there's lots of options so will you share how people can find you yeah absolutely so um uh, you can connect with me on any of the usual social media platforms so if you just search for tom wheelhouse or uh, mightify on linkedin twitter facebook youtube instagram uh, you'll find us or if you head to our website, which is mitify.co.uk, uh, you'll find all our resources. Uh, there's loads of downloadable free content on there. And we also run a regular drop-in session called the Career Change Club, imaginatively, um, which is all about your options in a very accessible and friendly way. So always happy to chat to people about their options. That's brilliant. Well, thank you so much. I've been speaking with Tom Wilhouse. Tom, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to access tools and support to help you manage daily school pressures, stresses or anxiety, head to our website, pursuitwellbeing.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends.